this is Mark Graven. I am the VP of Improvement and Innovation Services for Kinexus, and I want to welcome you to our webinar today titled The Why, How, and What of Continuous Improvement. I'm going to be playing the role of host and moderator today. Um, might be chiming in a little bit at, uh, at Jeff's invitation, but um, our Jeff Roussel is going to be uh, the main presenter today. He is our VP of Sales. Um, Jeff has been with the Kinexus team almost four years now, yep. and um, as we discussed in a podcast that I released on uh, Monday, um, you know, Jeff probably talks to more people from more organizations each week about their continuous improvement efforts, what's going well, what they're struggling with, so um, he has a lot of um, great perspective um, to share if you want to go check out that podcast at uh, leanblog.org slash 290 or listen uh, to what Jeff is going to have um, to say today. So I'll let him introduce himself a little bit more in a second. So let me let me start and I'll kind of introduce myself and I've used this introduction before. Um, I don't know how many people out there are familiar with the author and the speaker Simon Sinek but I, I really appreciate his ideas and his work. He, he's written a book called Leaders Eat Last, which has helped me to kind of craft some of my beliefs about leadership. But he also wrote a book and did a TED Talk called Start With Why. And he talks about how critical it is to explain why something is important before explaining what you're going to do to try to fix it. And so I try to do that whenever I do a, a presentation. I try to start with why. That's something we kind of are adamant about here at Kinexus in general. And so with that, uh, let me talk a little bit about why me. Mark said this earlier that, that I probably talk to as many organizations about their lean journey as anyone. I'm, I'm the head of sales here at Kinexus. Um, I did not have a lean background when I joined the organization, but uh, we, we've built Kinexus now. We have, I don't know, nearly 70 customers worldwide. And in order to get those customers, I had to talk to thousands of organizations to figure out what they're doing on their lean journey. And I think what that gives me is a little bit of perspective and understanding at some of the basic concepts that are prevalent in every organization. And some of the ways that when you're diagnosing your lean culture and trying to figure out what's wrong and how you can make it better, you know, who, who better than someone who talks to thousands of organizations to help you do that diagnosis. Um, I, I tell people all the time, the only belts that I have hold up my pants, and so I don't have traditional lean training. Uh, however, I, I do think I'm a lean thinker in general, and I'm very passionate about this subject. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to kind of exploring that with everyone. Um, let's talk a little bit about why lean. I think this is uh, a question that organizations and leaders and teams would do well to ask themselves often and, and with rigor. Um, I think even people that we talk to say, yeah, we're trying to be lean or we're a lean organization. And if you press them a little bit, they really don't know why. They don't know why they're being lean. And, and I fundamentally believe in this. This is something that's, that's core to my belief system to be lean. I think there's just a real difference between that old command and control management philosophy where 
where managers told employees what to do and then made sure that they did it correctly versus a connection and a collaboration culture where managers are literally asking the employees what needs to happen next. And the employees are the ones that have to figure out what to do and figure out a way to improve the work that they're doing. And so to me, you know, why lean comes into, do you fundamentally believe that every employee or in an organization should have two jobs? They should have to do their work and they should have to improve their work. And so if you can't answer that question honestly and accurately, then, then you need to go to square one and you need to figure out why lean is important. Now, when I did some research for this presentation, I just kind of started looking online and a couple of things uh, stood out to me. One was this quote from Mark Twain about how continuous improvement is better than delayed perfection. This is one of those things that, that I, I, it's good to see often because sometimes I fall into this trap of trying to do everything perfectly and instead of just getting a little bit better every day. Uh, what, it's, what it's taught me and kind of what even researching this webinar has taught me is that lean can have profound results, right? I, I think it's better for employees. I think it's better for customers. And I ultimately think it's better for individuals when there is a lean culture because that's str that striving to get better every day is what makes the difference between success and failure and happiness and disengagement in the workplace. But you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, we can talk about the gold standard here. I think everybody understands that this, this lean journey that we're all on started uh, with an organization in Japan called Toyota. Um, what's, what's really interesting to me, and as I was doing a little bit of research, were some of the ways that Toyota talks about the job of leaders within their organizations. It had nothing to do with numbers. It had nothing to do with driving revenue or cost reduction. It was developing people by teaching them to surface problems and solve problems, right? And creating an environment where that happens. Again, this is one of those things that you need to look critically at your organization and you need to make sure that this is the way that you're telling leaders they need to act. This is the goal that your leaders need to be working toward. And by leaders, I don't just mean managers, I mean executives, I even mean individual contributors. We have to be looking for ways to create environments where we can surface problems and solve problems. And I think what we see is that if you do that properly, it can have very profound results. So I'm not gonna vouch for the accuracy of this data. I found it online from the Detroit News. I don't even know how old it is, but it talks about the earnings before interest in taxes on, on the vehicle sold. And what stood out to me was just how far in advance Toyota was to some of the other auto companies. Hopefully the other ones have caught up since this has been published. But I think kind of what this tells me is that there is a selfish reason for doing lean. <laughs> there is a business reason for doing lean. It's not just all um, fun and games or, or, or unicorns and marshmallows, as my kids would say, right? There is a reason and a business reason for developing a lean culture within your organization. Mark, do you, 
do you have maybe examples or other thoughts on organizations that have seen kind of really good, profound results when they developed a lean culture? Well, and uh, yeah, and I think it's important. I mean, I think that culture is more likely to develop when people are engaged around goals that matter to them. So, you know, 22 years ago when I was in the auto industry, um, I worked at General Motors. Uh, it was clear that our, the, our, our factory's quality was bad, productivity was poor. There was a huge gap in uh, performance. And when we got a new plant manager who was Toyota trained and was one of the first NUMI people and understood how to help create that culture, that, that really made a big difference. And I think even if, you know, if you look at hospitals, you know, half the hospitals in the U.S. are nonprofit. They still need to have a positive bottom line. So uh, I think, you know, the, 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 some of the key lessons that come from Toyota is the idea that improving quality leads to better financial results, which is uh, different than kind of the traditional cost-cutting view that we would see in a lot of industries. There's a big difference between improving how the work is done and cutting costs. Yeah, and I think probably the mistake that a lot of organizations that I talk to make is, is after we cut costs, then we'll improve quality, you know, as opposed to improving quality is going to lead to cutting costs. Yeah. Um, so uh, maybe there's a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing that goes on too. Uh, yeah, great, great thoughts. So I, I would, I would challenge any organization and I do, I challenge organizations all the time to make sure you're answering the question of why are we trying to be lean? Why are we developing a culture of improvement? Because if you, if you haven't answered that question and if you can't answer that question for your people, then inevitably when the roadblocks arise and the challenges come up, you're going to struggle to get through them. So to me, that's the first step in the why, how, what is answering that question of why. It's a personal answer, but it's one that you cannot overlook. So then the next question is, how do we become lean? And this is a little bit of a pet peeve for me because this is something that people ask me all the time. How can my organization become lean? And, and I think that this is pretty much impossible. Right? I think what you do is you practice lean. So the real question is, how do we practice lean? Because it's only through daily practice that we get better and ultimately, quote unquote, become lean. And so, you know, I, I try to, to um, look at this webinar in how can we talk about ways that people can practice lean in, in simple ways without having to train an army of black belts or green belts or whatever you want to call it, but how can we develop ways where our organization can practice and get better at lean every day? And so let's start with the five lean principles. This is something that I see all the time. Um, I'll be honest, you know, because I'm not classically trained, I struggle with some of these concepts, you know, especially one through four. I understand them in theory, but, but it's not something that I put into practice every day. My belief is that in order to create a real culture of improvement, right, and my passion lies around number five. And that's that pursuit for perfection. I think whatever anyone else does, whether they know how to define value or map value streams or create flow or establish pull, anybody and everybody can pursue perfection because it's simply a choice and a set of habits that we develop. And so as you research this topic, 
the word that comes up all the time is kaizen. And uh, it's a Japanese term. I don't speak Japanese. And in fact, I feel like my New Orleans accent sometimes makes me say this word correctly all the time. And so internally at Kinexus and just kind of personally in my life, we use the word continuous improvement. Right? To me, it means the exact same thing. But I'll be honest, my gut tells me as I, as I talk about this with organizations that sometimes even the words continuous improvement are a little intimidating for people. And so I really like the quote by Mazaki Amai. Mazaki Amai, for those of you who don't know, wrote a book called Kaizen. I'm sure he's done a million other things to, to help kind of forward this line of thinking. But the book Kaizen, our founder, Greg Jacobson, Kinexus's founder, Greg Jacobson, uh, credits this book with kind of leading him to founding Kinexus ultimately. And so it's kind of one that we hold near and dear. But, but Mazaki Amai says that really what it is, is it's everybody improving everywhere every day. Well, to me, that's as simple as it gets. And if you have an organization of 500 people, then the goal should be that all 500 are, are doing improvements every day. If you have an organization of 15,000 people or 100,000 people, all of them should be participating and doing their work and improving their work every day. And I, I ultimately think that's the holy grail of where we're all trying to get to. So then the question is, how do I get my organization to do this? I grade, I love it, it's theory, you know, we wanna improve every day and everybody wants to participate, but what can I do to get my organization to wrap their head around this? And so um, I go back to some of my business school concepts when I look at this. There's a, there's a concept in business school called the golden triangle, and it's essentially it essentially says that anytime you're trying to align a business process or a business system or a business objective, there are three things that are equally at play. Right? The first of them is the people involved. The second of them are the processes that you develop. And the last one is the, the enabling technologies that you use. And so you'll hear us at Kinexus say this all the time, people process technology. Again, it's, it's called the golden triangle and it's been a part of kind of business teaching for a long time. With that said, I feel like these terms are pretty nebulous. When I tell people people process technology, they just kind of shake their head and I don't think it, it really is um, calculating for them. So from a continuous improvement standpoint, I think there are some ways that we can rephrase this to help people understand what it really means. And so from a CI perspective, what I think is that the people component here are really the leadership behaviors that you develop. And the processes are your improvement processes or the methodologies that you choose. And then the technology are the technologies that you use that are specific to enabling continuous improvement, right? There are tons of technologies throughout our organizations, but we have to figure out which ones will specifically enable continuous improvement. And so my advice to people is that you have to focus on these areas. I, I kind of look at my job as a sales guy, it, almost like that as a doctor, right? You don't go into the doctor and say, hey doc, show me all your medicine and, and uh, I'll just tell you which ones I want, right? The doc, the doctor, he asks you a bunch of, she asks you a bunch of questions, 
and their, their job is to diagnose your problem so they can make a recommendation. Well, it's kind of the same thing in sales, right? I'm trying to help organizations diagnose the issues they have so that we can make a recommendation. Sometimes that's Kinexus, sometimes it's not. But helping someone do an accurate diagnosis is extremely important. So to that end, I think there are ways that organizations can diagnose the problems they have and figure out where they fit and figure out where they need to kind of focus their attention. And the first of those is the leadership behaviors that they're exhibiting. So to me, there are some very kind of core, consistent themes that I see in organizations that are doing great lean leadership. And what that means, alternately, is that if your organization is not doing these four things, then you probably have a leadership problem. And you need some help changing the leadership behaviors in your organization if you're really going to create a culture of improvement. And so the first of those is commitment. There, you don't just lose weight over time. Right? You choose to lose weight or you choose to go on a diet, hopefully not a fad diet. You choose to change your diet or your habits, let's say that. The same thing applies with continuous improvement. Organizations don't just become lean or just happen to develop a culture of continuous improvement. They choose to develop a culture of continuous improvement. That commitment sees them through the hard times the temptations, the roadblocks, the obstacles that get in their way. And I would tell you that in a majority of organizations I talk to, when we dig deeper, this commitment is often lacking. The thing is, it doesn't have to be a CEO commitment. It's always better if it is. But if you're a team leader, a division leader, a director, you can make this commitment for your group. But make no mistake about it, the commitment is required. You have to have this commitment if you're going to develop a culture of improvement. And then the second one, and if lean is truly a goal, it's something that has to be discussed all the time. And so communication becomes important. Too many times I see organizations talk about improvement and lean once a month in a quarterly review and an annual report out session maybe in a break room between a couple of people. But what I don't see and what I look for when I'm helping them to diagnose issues is are you communicating about lean and improvement often? Is it in your emails? Is it talked about in all of your team meetings? Do you have a cadence of meetings to talk about improvement? This is a very easy thing to make a mistake in, but it's also luckily a very easy thing to diagnose and fix. And so if you're having communication problems, you know, I would advise you to pay attention to that because it can make a huge difference in actually developing a lean culture. The third aspect of lean leadership is resources. Great lean leaders give their people the bandwidth to participate in improvement. Now, that doesn't mean they give their people 40 hours a week to do improvement. Not everyone needs to be full-time lean in order to make this successful. But if we're going to get thousands and tens of thousands of people to participate in improvement, we have to give them the permission and the resources to do that. And then lastly, accountability. Again, if lean is truly a goal, then both you, 
your leaders and your people need to be held accountable to their participation in it and their results in it. It doesn't work any other way. If you're not holding yourself and you're not holding your people accountable to it, then you're signaling to them that it's not really important. And again, as soon as we hit an obstacle or a roadblock, it's too impossible, it's too hard to overcome. So I tell people all the time, and I've kind of developed a set of questions to ask where I can pinpoint issues in these four areas, but if you have issues in these four areas, then I would tell you that you have lean leadership problems and, and you should try to address those problems. So then, given that, the next question is, well, how would I address those problems, right? And so, in the, you know, in the realm of trying to, one, keep it simple and light, and Two, giving someone maybe a list that they could use, something that they could remember easily. Um, I developed the, the top 10 ways that you could uh, help coach your leaders to be better lean leaders. Hey, Jeff, does that make me your Paul Schaefer here today? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, we just need the band. I don't know. The, I forget the name of the band. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll laugh and tell you each of these are good, just like Paul Schaefer. <laughs> okay, great. I need the, the, the little drum roll thing. Uh, <laughs> I could do that. I'm a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so let, let's start with kind of the top 10. And I think the easiest and possibly the most important one and the one that gets most overlooked is that you have to state your belief in continuous improvement. If you want your team to do continuous improvement, you have to state your belief in continuous improvement. And you have to do it over and over and over again. It's not enough just to send an email and say, hey, guys, we're going to do continuous improvement. Okay. This is one of those ones that kind of look in the mirror. If you haven't sent a communication about the importance of improvement recently, then now's the time to do it. This is an easy habit to get into. Number two, you then have to tell them why improvement is important. Both to the goals and strategies of the organization, so you have to be able to tie how improvement will align to the goals and strategies of the organization, but also to them as people. You have to be able to explain to them why developing a process to improve work and getting good at that process is important to them as, as individuals, as contributors, and as people in general. Number three, and this is the one that people hate to hear and I think get wrong as often as I, I see anything else, is you have to participate in improvement yourself. Right? And yes, that means that you have to have leader standard work. It doesn't have to be fancy leader standard work, but if you want your people to participate in improvement, you have to lead them. You have to do it yourself. This is something that is kind of a pet peeve of mine. Um, I see this all the time in process improvement teams. Right? They're they're charged with training the organization on how to do better improvement, and they're teaching people how to do waste walks and, and gimbal walks and identify wasteful steps and, and do daily huddles. And then when I ask, well, well, how are you guys doing improvement on your team? How, how are you improving the way that you improve? Well, well, they're not, right? They're too busy to do their own improvement. And so I, I tell people all the time, look, you have to do this yourself. You have to show your organization that this is important to you by participating on your own. And then, number four, you have to spend lots of time in Gemba. And 
We try not to use fancy words here. So to me, you have to spend lots of time in the workplace, right? If your organization is intimidated by the Japanese words or whatever, that's fine. Just use simple words. Go where work is happening. If you lead a call center, go sit on calls. If you lead a developer team, go sit in the meeting where they prioritize new features or the bug session where they're fixing bugs. If you're on a manufacturing floor, right, if you're not standing at the machine watching or helping people create that widget, then you're not in the Gemba, you're not in the workplace. And, and you have to spend more time than you think in that workplace. And then you have to ask for opportunities for improvement and you have to do it often. Right? So we try to do this every day at Kinexus. Some, some teams are better than others. The goal is to say, what improvements can we make? We're developing a habit, so we identify wasteful steps and speak up about them. Uh, this is something, again, I see people get wrong all the time. And they expect that their people will voice problems, but if you don't ask for those problems, you're never going to get them. And then, if you ask for them, the most important step, number six, is to respond to them quickly. If you don't respond to every idea, sometimes it may be worse than not asking at all. The last thing we want to do is make our people think we're not listening to them. We have to respond to their ideas very, very quickly. And then we have to set a goal to implement something. That doesn't mean we have to build a new parking lot every time someone asks. And it doesn't mean we have to, you know, it doesn't mean we have to repave the, the surface because there's a pothole. You know, perhaps we can put umbrellas, perhaps we can put signs. There are small improvements that we can make that one will make a measurable change for our people and will signal to them that we are trying. And so I tell people all the time, make sure you're implementing some change. Number eight, we talked about this already, help create time for your people to take action. Number nine, Teach your, pay, your people basic problem solving. We'll talk about this a little later. I think oftentimes the mistake I see is this gets overcomplicated and managers try to create lean experts out of their people. I think that's great for motivated individuals. I think it's really hard for the masses. And number 10, teach your people how to identify waste. Well, again, we'll talk about this in, in a little bit, but the problem I see here is typically we identify waste in lean language, not in the language of the work we're doing. And I think that's a very nuanced issue that is easy to fix. So hopefully this list is helpful for you guys. It'll be a part of the slide deck when you, if you want to download it. But um, again, I, I would tell you, if you have leadership problems, leadership behavior problems around lean in your organization, you could do worse than kind of ringing the daily bell around these 10 issues to see if you can move it in the right direction. All right, so let's then talk about the next one, which is the improvement processes and methodologies. Again, this is an equally important aspect of developing a great lean culture. If we get this wrong, we're going to have problems, and we may not know where those problems are coming from. What I see talking to people is every possible variation of process and methodology that you can imagine. Some organizations are lean, some are Six Sigma, some are lean Six Sigma, some just teach A3 thinking, some are very kind of just do it oriented. Others have developed their 
own process and it's unique to their organization. And they even name it their own their own thing. I think what's exciting is that all of those situations can work. What I think is important and where I think most of the problems arise are when you go outside of the principles that create great lean processes. So the first principle of a great lean process is that it is simple. This is something that's hard to tell and may, may require you to get an outside opinion. But if your people find your lean processes to be complex, they will disengage from, from the situation. We see this all the time. You know, you ask your people for opportunities for improvement, yet you make them fill out a form with 27 line items in it and check four boxes before they can submit it. Well, well I wouldn't submit it either. I don't have time to do that, and I don't do it often enough to really understand what that means. So you have to strive to keep your processes simple, and then you have to make sure they're consistent throughout your organization. This is one that bites people all the time. You know, we'll go in and um, one group has one Excel sheet, another group has a different Excel sheet. We're trying to pull everything together for executive oversight. We've got different processes wherever you go. Anytime there's a job change, anytime that we're trying to work cross-function, cross-department, it's a challenge because we have different processes. And developing consistency in your lean processes is extremely important as is developing discipline. This is an easier one to diagnose. Again, we talked about this earlier. Right? Figure out when people are meeting and talking about lean, and if it's not often enough, make it often enough. You have to develop the discipline if you're going to have great lean processes. And then you have to be organized. Right? If, you're dis if your processes are disorganized, if your documentation is disorganized, people will find it hard to participate and you'll get disengaged employees. And so I think that with these four areas, you can kind of focus your attention and make sure that, that you're working on the right things when it comes to your processes. Now, I have some opinions on what people could do to teach good processes. And I think most, most of my opinions uh, come from the fact that oftentimes the, the processes are overcomplicated. And so uh, I find that that I try to keep things simple in my thinking when I'm working with my sales team and when I'm, when I'm trying to help other organizations figure out how to develop good processes. To me, the first thing that you can do is teach your people how to identify waste. Right? I think we probably all know this. I don't think I'm telling anyone something new here. What I do find is that if you're teaching them waste in the lean words, well, you're, you're going to lose them, right? If I just walk up to one of my sales guys and says, hey, let me know if we have any overproduction, right? You know, let me, let me know what that, what that does. They'll never come to me with a problem. I don't know if they even understand how overproduction might fit into a sales environment. My, my thinking is that you have to help your people to identify the waste in their language, in their work environment. So I took a, a shot at kind of figuring out what that might be from a, a sales standpoint, right? How would we articulate waste in a sales process? And, and we don't have to go through all of these, but, you know, they're very easy to see when we're waiting for approvals or legal review or signatures on documents, or if we don't have a good process to ask for referrals 
or or a lot of times we're in conversations not with the actual decision maker at a customer's organization. Well, those things to me are disrespectful because ultimately we're introducing waste into the sales process. And so what I what I'm trying to do and I continually try this is to have my sales team identify waste in the language that they they deal with every day, not in the seven buckets that scientifically fit around lean. And I think this is possible for every work group everywhere, whether you're in a call center, a sales team, a manufacturing floor, or, or whatever, you can identify waste in the language of your employees' work. Then I think you can teach your people how to do basic problem solving. I do not think this needs to get too advanced. I think we use PDCA here, PDSA, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think this is an easy enough one. I think some people are, are do A3 thinking in their problem solving. Uh, this is to me where it can sometimes get too complex, where people can teach too complex of a model, especially for untrained, untrained employees, the masses, if you will. And you have to teach them a very simple way to solve their own problems. And then you have to give them the, the space to go and practice this. And then I think you should teach them a simple improvement process. The one that we use is a four-step process around capturing a new opportunity for improvement, implementing some change, measuring the impact of that, and sharing it with others. And we'll do this over and over and over again. To me, it's a four-step process. It's not overly complicated. Anyone can learn it. I don't need my team to be lean experts in order to participate in this process. But the other thing I do is try to reinforce that with the lesson that I learned from our CEO who happens to be an emergency doctor. Right? And I guess this, this started in, in medicine, but we tried to focus on the see one, do one, teach one concept, right? where, where we show someone how to do something, they go off and do it on their own, and then they try to teach someone else how to do it. And by, by taking all three of these steps, it's an easy way to cement a concept in your mind and make it part of your habits. Then I would tell you to figure out a way to organize your improvements. Now, this will be my shameless plug in the webinar. Um, you don't have to use Excel and PowerPoint and whatever if you don't want to. There are systems to help with this. Uh, whether or not you use Kinexus, I'm kind of just joking here, but figure out a system to organize your improvements and then make sure that you set up a cadence or in, in easier terms, practice. Right? It's something that you have to do over and over and over again if you're going to get it right. So to me, right, those are some fairly simple steps that you can use in order to make sure that you're diagnosing the problems around your processes and that you're creating great improvement processes and methodologies. And so let's look at the, the last third of the golden triangle, the enabling technology. What I've seen mostly is that this is where people overlook the golden triangle, right? There's this kind of religion amongst the lean community that technology is a bad thing. And, and I know I get it. It's not supposed to be that way, but it is. But the fact of the matter is, you know, the people process technology. Technology is one third of this equation. And so if your goal is to be great at lean and develop a great lean culture, you have to do all three of these, and technology is a part of that. 
And so here I see there's some specific problems that technology can solve and most people misdiagnose that. So the concept of great lean technology should solve first and foremost visibility. If you cannot tell me which improvements are happening in your organization and where, and if your people cannot see the other improvements that, that, that their coworkers are making, you have a visibility problem, which is ultimately something that technology can solve. A visibility problem will lead to slow decision-making and bad decision-making. It'll, it'll lead to duplicate improvement work, and it'll also lead to a lack of um, assuredness as to whether or not someone should voice an improvement in the first place. So I tell people all the time, right, if you have a visibility problem, that is something that can be solved. But if you diagnose a visibility problem, what you need to look at is solving that with technology. The same can be said for collaboration. Right? We all want our people to collaborate with one another around improvement projects. This can be difficult in some cases. If you're standing in the same break room all the time, it's easy to collaborate around these projects. But as soon as we get into cross-departmental projects, and as soon as we get into people working across shifts or on different sites, it becomes very difficult to collaborate. Again, if you have a collaboration problem, you have something that technology can solve. The third is standards. Great technology should help you to roll out good standards throughout your organization. It is vitally important that your project templates are at least similar throughout your organization. It makes reporting easier, it makes communication easier, it makes an understanding of status easier. Technology can help you to create these standards and, and more importantly, technology can help you to enforce these standards. Number four is knowledge sharing. If your people do not have a way to see what improvement work has happened previously, then all that knowledge that you're creating is going down the drain. So you, I guarantee you're doing duplicate efforts. You're introducing waste into the improvement process itself. Knowledge sharing is, a, is an extremely important component of improvement. And it, again, it's one where technology can, make, can solve the problem. And then lastly is impact. Understanding of impact helps you to keep score of your improvement efforts. That helps you to remain committed and it helps you to overcome some of the obstacles that come when we have change. Again, understanding of that impact is often a problem that technology can solve. So I tell people all the time, you know, ask the questions of do I have a visibility problem? Do I have a collaboration problem? Do I have a knowledge sharing problem? If you do, you should be looking at technology to solve those problems. And so to me, the concept is that we have to focus on all three of these areas. It's not enough to concentrate on just our leadership behaviors. It's not enough just to develop good processes. It's not enough just to have a good technology, right? We have to have all three working in combination if we're going to create a culture of continuous improvement. And then we have to kind of focus our efforts. And so there are five areas that I think are important to focus on 
when you're developing a good organizational improvement culture. The first of those is bottom-up improvement. It's imperative that you ask your people to find and solve the problems in your workplace. We have customers that call this the three-foot radius. Solve the three-foot radius around you. Right? Identifying improvement opportunities is best done by the people who are doing the work themselves. And it's extremely important to develop this kind of bottom-up improvement part of your culture. But cannot overlook the top-down part. There are some things that are better handled by projects, and top-down improvement is a better way to do that. Strategy deployment is the third important piece of this component. The process of designing your goals in a collaborative effort with your people and then visualizing the work that you're doing throughout the organization as to how they align to those goals is a very important piece in the puzzle. KPIs is the next piece and it's understanding the data that you're using. If you're doing good improvement work, it should lead to better data or better results, whatever the results should be. If not, you're either measuring the wrong thing or you're not doing good improvement work. So understanding KPIs and understanding and visualizing and tying them back to the improvement work that you're doing is extremely important. And then last, it's continual learning. It's the training. I, you know, even though I'm not a green belt and a black belt, I, I definitely do not um, overlook the importance of, of training your people on the lean concepts, good processes, um, how to participate. You know, it is, it is to me one of the five areas that organizations need to focus on if they're going to develop world-class continuous improvement. And so I'll finish with some last thoughts. So the first of those is to just get started. Uh, Mark says this all the time, the easiest way to start doing continuous improvement is to start doing continuous improvement. Right? You can just go ask your people to find problems. You can just go and teach them wasteful steps and have a conversation about it. You can, you can just go and, and organize the work that you're doing. You know, there is no perfect here. Perfect is absolutely the enemy of good in this case. You just have to go get started, and I would say you, know, you should do that today. Try it on your team first. If your organization is not a lean organization, if your executives are not committed to it, you can absolutely do this in a localized way. That starts with an attitude adjustment. We talked about it earlier. Right? The first, the first uh, rule of, of Lean Fight Club is to commit to Lean Fight Club. And so you have to commit. You have to kind of make sure that you're looking inward and changing your own attitudes about lean in order to develop the people around you. Set small goals. You don't have to tackle the world here. Get your first OI implemented. Get a small OI implemented. It doesn't have to save a million dollars. It could save five dollars, right? But you have to build that habit one step at a time. And, and I think it's easy to set some small goals and then increase those goals over time. That's a lot easier than trying to, to you know, have each individual do five improvements a month and it just is, it's just not feasible from the beginning. And then lastly, don't ever forget why it's called continuous improvement. This is a never-ending journey. Right? I'm trying to develop an improvement culture on our sales team at Kinexus. 
we're trying to develop an improvement culture within our small organization. Our customers are all trying to develop an improvement culture. None of them have solved the problem. Right? I don't think it's a problem that is solvable. Right? It is a problem that we must continue to try to solve day in and day out. And that never-ending work to, to, to create the culture that you want is really where you're going to get the results that you, you ultimately desire. So um, that's it for my presentation. I hope this was helpful for everyone. Um, you know, if anyone is interested, I'm happy to uh, explain a little bit more about Kinexus. Um, but that's not really kind of what this webinar was. But uh, I thank you all very much, and I'm looking forward to the Q&A session. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Um, we've got a few questions that have come in. I encourage people to um, continue submitting questions. We have a couple announcements here real quick. Um, for one, uh, we had somebody ask um, a little bit more about um, Kinexus. As, as Jeff said, um, we are a technology company. If you go to Kinexus.com, if this is your first exposure to us uh, as a company, um, the website will do a really good job of explaining who we are, what problems uh, we solve for our customers, and of course you can always uh, reach out to Jeff if you'd like us to contact you. There is uh, a survey that we'll ask you to fill out. It'll pop up at the end of the webinar. If you want uh, Jeff to contact you, please let us know that. All right. Um, oh, Jeff, do you, do you want to talk yeah. to the logos here real quick? Well, I just I, I put this here so people could see the type of organizations that, that we work with. Um, I think what's interesting is that it's all over the board. Some people are just starting improvement, and some have been doing it for years. Um, more than anything, you know, I love our customers, and so anytime I get a chance to kind of uh, put them front and center, that's an important part of what we do. So, yeah, we don't need to spend a lot of time with this one. Yeah, yeah, and and one thing I've I've appreciated about being involved with Kinexus is the belief that if our customers are successful, we will become we will be successful, and and that is a very strong part of the culture and a good foundation for um, building a culture of improvement within Kinexus. And and Jeff has done uh, a lot to further that goal, further our customers' goals, but. It's a bunch of questions all came at once. I fell behind. Uh, here's a question from uh, Jason. Uh, what do you see across Kinexus customers in the cadence and tasking uh, and developing improvement ideas? Is it ad hoc as improvement opportunities present themselves? Is there a required number of improvements per department, per quarter, or per year? Does it depend on the annual strategic plan, et cetera? Yeah, so Mark, you may be able to add some color to this, but, but I'll kind of give, give my thoughts. I see it all over the board. Um, I personally don't love quotas. I think that, unfortunately, what it what it leads to are just people filling those quotas. So we tend to see really low implementation rates when we see quotas. Yeah. Right? We'll get we'll get the 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 ideas captured. If you remember that capture, implement, measure, share, but the implementation rates will be extremely low because the types of things that come in are really not um, are not what we want. I would also say that it, it, it's it's maybe equally as bad if we don't take the time to teach our people what wasteful steps are, what we're looking for, because the last thing we, we want is improvement ideas about adding Twinkies to the, the vending mm -hmm. machine or whatever. I mean, that isn't exactly improving the organization either. 
And so it's a bit of a balancing act. Um, I do see when we when it is ad hoc, if you answer people quickly and if you try to implement something, you will see an increase in the number of ideas that come in. It's just inevitably over time, if you do it right, people will give you more and more ideas. And I think those ideas become richer and richer over time. In addition to that, in almost every one of our customers, there's some cadence of rapid improvement event, Kaizen event, gimbal walk, waste walk, whatever people want to call it, where they're out specifically generating ideas. Sometimes those are generic. Sometimes those are focused on a goal. But I think, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a kind of you have to do both. You have to kind of do the ad hoc side of it, and then you also have to do that scheduled component. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, Jeff. What, what I would add about quotas or targets for uh, participation rates, um, I, I, you know, I think the, the, the key factor that leads to improvement is the leadership behaviors. Not the goals, not the reward system, it's the leadership behaviors of asking and engaging and collaborating and recognizing. That's the variable that I see making the difference. It's a function of, of effort on the part of leaders to engage their people. You know, one of the other downsides of a quota is that it often becomes a limit. And I think this is very unintuitive to people until you hear the scenario where let's say the organization sets a goal, a target, you must do two improvements this year. If people have four ideas, they might not submit all four of them. And it's like, well, why, why? you know, the, the, the target's supposed to be a minimum. I'm like, well, no, people are afraid. Next year you might raise the, the target to four and they're afraid they might not be able to think of four, so they hold some back. And that quota, that's not the intent, but the psychology of it, I think, makes a lot of sense. It, it, it becomes limiting, and, um, and we, can, we can avoid that. Yeah, and I think, I think just one more thing to add there, like celebrating even just the submission of an idea can sometimes make a huge difference. You know, big or small, uh, what you're trying to do, the idea itself is important, but building the habit in your people to identify wasteful steps and give you ideas to improve, that's the most important part. And so celebrating the building of the habit is way more important than the actual idea itself in most cases. Yeah. Um, let's see, I've got a question um, from uh, Jesper. What suggestion do you guys have for building a culture where failure and learning is accepted? Um, Maybe, let me, I'll touch on that, uh, that one first. Um, I, I think one of the keys, I mean, I think we have to be careful. It's going to turn a lot of leaders off if we uh, talk too much um, you know, about failure being good. And you know, I think in the lean startup community, you know, there, there's discussion and concern about, uh, uh, about turning people off by being too excited about failure. I, I think the lean approach, the Kaizen approach, involves doing small tests of change. And... If anything, we're, we're going to um, make uh, small local um, failures. Um, we're we're going to fail on a small local scale so we can avoid big, costly, uh, harmful, expensive failures. So it's not that failure is great. Failure with learning um, is a good thing. So when we fail small, we can learn 
and then succeed on uh, on, a, on a larger scale. Well, Jeff, what are your thoughts? I mean, in sales, you you don't want to uh, fail and 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 not get chosen by a customer and say, oh well, we learned from it. I mean, how, where do you find the balance? Yeah, I mean, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm unique here, and maybe it you know my kind of lack of of training around this. But to me, you know, failure is failure is not acceptable, right? I I do not think building building a situation where failure is the goal is the right thing. Now, with that being said. I think if you attribute failure to your people versus to the process, you've got a real problem, right? If you're blaming your people for the failure, well, well, I, I don't blame them if they're disengaged and upset, yeah. right? When there's failure, it drives me crazy when there's failure on our sales team. But I don't blame my people because I think they're not working hard enough or or they're not smart enough, we did something wrong and we have to try to fix it. So it's kind of what you're saying where the failure without learning is the, is the real problem. But, but I don't think you have, to, uh, you have to kind of give in to failure. You just have to make sure that you identify the cause of failure as a process, not as your people. Once you start blaming your people, you're in for a real downward spiral. Yeah, no, that's, a great, that's a great point. And maybe we have time for one more question here, depending on how long our answers are. Can you tell us more about creating an improvement culture within the sales team and within Kinexus? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm happy to do this. Um, this was hard for me because, it's, again, it's not something I did before. I'm, I'm a, I was a sales guy and a sales leader, and so trying to do it in a lean way is, is difficult. Um, having a commitment to it was important, and having resources like Mark and – our CEO, Greg Jacobson, have been really important to help there, too. Uh, a couple of simple things that I did was to set up a cadence of meetings. We use the cadence of daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly, and have a very specific agenda on those meetings. So, so for instance, our daily meeting, you know, we don't want to talk about the business of sales. We don't want to talk about opportunities or customers. We want to talk about you know, what, what our goals were the day before, did we accomplish them, what our goals are for that day, and then what improvements are we working on, and, and how, can we, um, how can we further those improvements. Um, so that cadence has been extremely important, even in a really small team. I mean, we're a very small team, and, uh, and that's helped a lot. I'm going to plug Kinexus here a little bit, but we also organize the improvements that we're doing around Kinexus. So I'll give you guys an example. Um, last two weeks ago, we, we um, signed up for a booth at a conference. It happened to be the AME conference in Boston. Very limited resources, could not have a fancy booth. Our goal is to meet people and try to identify organizations that might need our help. Well, at the end of that conference, the discipline of sitting down for an hour and writing out a list of of plus delta and a, and a list of opportunities for improvement and then ultimately creating a standard work document for the next time that we go and do a conference you know to me that's developing lean behaviors in my sales organization I want to make the conference process as efficient as possible we do the same thing with our demo our order forms our legal review you know we are trying to eliminate as as much waste out of those processes as possible so I think a lot of it is just the focus on eliminating that waste, and it's something that I've been pretty fanatical about. 
Yeah. Well, gosh, maybe maybe we'll do another webinar or a podcast uh, someday, Jeff, talking more about this uh, this question of creating a culture of improvement. You know, the the thing I would add is. Uh, I think one great advantage we have is that, uh, at, at the risk of sounding uh, like a like a butt kisser here, our CEO Greg Jacobson is a really good kaizen thinker. You know, he was exposed to Amai's work, um, did a lot um, building uh, a, a culture of continuous improvement in healthcare settings where where he worked, and and so uh, you know, have, there's no substitute for having a CEO who thinks this way at Agreed. at their core and. You know, so we've built upon that, and it's been challenging. You know, as the company grows, you know, you have to you know hire people that uh, are, are willing to be part of a culture of improvement and and to coach them and bring them along. And, and I think the other thing I would add before we wrap up here is, you know, we try to look at metrics in a in a constructive way, um, uh, not overreacting to every up and down in the data, and not wasting time saying, well, why was that number bad last month? And, and when we don't waste time on that sort of overreaction mode, uh, people can focus on improving the system. And, and I think that's an important part of couldn't agree more. Uh, what we're trying to build here. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, but um, we are here at the top of the hour. We've got a couple questions we might have to just address as a, a follow-up, but we'll reach out to people. I wanna thank everybody for the great questions. I want to thank everyone for participating. And Jeff, thank you for uh, nailing it with the webinar today. Great job. Yeah, thank you. It was my pleasure. I really appreciate you helping organize this for us. And everybody out there, thank you very much for, for paying attention. It's a topic we're really passionate about, and I'm glad you guys are too. All right. So until uh, next month, again, November 14th, we hope you'll join us, and uh, we'll see you again then. Thanks for tuning in.